Mac Power Users, episode 361, Unused and Hidden iOS Features with Clayton Morris. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Kitty Floyd. How are you today, Kitty Floyd? I'm well, David. How are you? I'm doing great. And we've got a really good show. I, the more I work on this outline, the more I like this show. And um, uh, I can't wait to share it with you. But before we do, we've got a few bits of business. The first is... Such a tease. What? I said you're such a tease. Oh, I am. I know. Uh, but But the first bit of business is the Chicago meetup. So uh, what is it? March 15th, we're going to be in Chicago. We're doing a meetup. It's the group. Uh, we set it up an invite for as many as 50 people. And now we've hit 50. So. Yeah. So I've, I've revised it. We, we can now do more. Yeah. We're still figuring out that the problem is figuring out the first day of uh, March Madness, finding a, a place for 50 people. But we've got a couple very interesting leads. We may have a secret location, which is kind of cool. Um, so just let us know if you're interested in that and uh, you can sign up. We'll put a link in the show notes and we're going to know how big the group is. But but just to be clear, you, you keep saying this like like it's tentative. It's happening and we will have a space. We're just trying to pick among the best spaces. Now that we've got a bigger group, the the venue we initially picked may not necessarily be the best for that. It's out the window, man. We're going bigger. So uh, hopefully we've got something um, interesting for you. I, I don't want to say where we're looking at because it's so fun, but there may be some very cool places, a secret location. Okay. Uh, one other thing, uh, we've actually got a listener getting on an airplane to come see us. We have a couple. Yeah. So it's going to be a good party. Uh, the other thing is the Facebook group is now officially live and a bunch of you have signed up for it. Thank you. And uh, we're kind of having fun with that, getting it started. I'm finally using Facebook after all these years for the Mac Power users. I'm taking one for the team, Katie. I know. And we've had a lot of people complain. They don't do Facebook. Facebook is the devil. They hate Facebook. They're never going to join. That's fine. Up to you. Yeah, it's okay. I get it. I was there. We totally understand. It's just Facebook is the place where we could get critical mass. And uh, that's that's where the majority of people wanted to be. So that's that's we please the people. That's where we went. But enough about that. We have got a great guest for the show for uh, a great show. In fact, Clayton Morris is joining us back again. Um, And Clayton, I think you actually pitched this idea to Mac Power users. And we said, put your money where your mouth is and come on and do it with us. I did. Thank you guys for having me back. I love, well, you know how much of a fan I am of the show. And so, and some nerdy stuff that I'm, I'm a big fan of. And I think I sent a message to Dave and I said, I said, David, can we got to do a show on this? And the way that I sent it to you was part of the reason we wanted to do this show. I sent you an audio message using iOS and you're like, I think this might be the first voice message I've received. I don't know. And I'm like, well, then we got to do this show because I use it every day. And why don't people use this? Yeah. So you sent me a message, which was just you talking, the dulcet tones of Clayton Morris, who, who by the way, Clayton, I have a bone to pick with you. Um, I made the mistake of making you one of my workout buddies. And th- <laughs> this guy, Clayton Morris, I think you work out two or three times a day. And I just... I'm sitting there eating Twinkies, and it's like, ah, Clayton did another workout. Good job. Well, I, no, I get notifications on my watch from you all the time. It's like, David completed a workout. I'm like, that son of a... And then, you know, I get Renee. Well, Renee walks like, you know, crazy amounts. And I'm like, I've got to... He's getting all these achievements all the time. And it's motivating. So I get out and do it. But part of the reason I'm out there walking and doing this stuff is that I end up doing... and. 
I, I, for my business, I'm constantly walking and talking and utilizing a lot of these sort of like hidden features of iOS while I'm out literally working out with my Apple Watch and I'm getting business done in the park while I'm taking a walk. And so that's it, it's kind of deceptive, but I just take a walk. I've got three phone calls to make. I tap the workout function on my watch and I just go and I get tons of work done while I'm doing it. Yeah, well, I was just like the other day I was going to get coffee. I'm like, well, I could take my bike. Or I could take my car, but if I take my bike, then I'm going to be able to get one up on Clayton Morris. So I'm definitely <laughs> taking my bike. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we got sidetracked, but yeah. So, so the idea of today's show is there's a bunch of stuff in iOS for your iPhone and your iPad that that's there, but a lot of people don't realize it's there and it can really up your productivity game. So we uh, tapped our own list. We both, we started this outline about a week ago and we've got a bunch of stuff in here. We called out to Twitter and we got a lot of good ideas from the uh, listeners. We also called out on Facebook group and we got some ideas there as well. So we've got a collection of gems here. So we're just going to kind of work our way through it. And by the time you get to the end of the show, you're going to have some some great new ideas and ways to use your iPhone and iPad. So why don't we start with the one that, that kicked it all off? Yeah, I mean, voice memos, right? Voice messages in iOS. And so I have to say that I run... You know, I run my business. I, you know, do a turnkey rental business in real estate and I run it from my iPad. I'm all in on iOS, except when I'm, you know, using my Mac for some power stuff and uh, sit down on my iMac. But my whole team is deployed across the country. And for me, as a, you know, as a broadcaster, as a communicator for a living, and I'm not the best at it, but I find that it's far more efficient for me to grab my iPhone, tap the little microphone icon, in the uh, type bar uh, in in the messages app and pre- hold down the microphone and fire off a 15, 30 second voice message that can, the tone in my voice, the way that I'm communicating it can, f- it does a far better job than text. It, to me, it's far more efficient. And I just think that no one uses this feature except maybe my team. And so I, I it, the reason I even kind of thought of this as a, as a show idea with you, David, was um, back in early December, I sent a message. Mike Hurley and I are working on something, and I sent him a message. And he said, I just received my very first voice message. And I said, Mike Hurley, of really F- you, you really have never received a voice message before. How is that possible? And he said, I'm going to start using this. This is a cool feature. And then I said, I've got to talk to David about this. And so I sent you a bit, and, I'm, and it just sort of rolled from there. And I couldn't believe that more people don't use this thing. Well, I'm always banging on on this show about dictation, about how – it's faster, especially on iOS, to hit the little microphone button and speak your text than to type it in, at least for me. My, my kids might be a different story. Uh, but this is actually faster, uh, just speaking the message, you know, just not even having to worry about getting the grammar correct or making sure the words got translated properly, you know, just kind of cutting Siri out of it, really, and just sending a recorded message. It's almost like, walk. I don't want to say it's walkie-talkie mode, but it's very similar. And for the sender, it's certainly the fastest way to do this. Uh, on the flip side of the message, the, the person has to be in a room where they can listen to an audio message. Um, so there's a little bit of a downside there. Um, if they're not, uh, they have to wait, to put some headphones in or wait until they get a place where it's text they can read immediately. Now, the logistics of this, talk a little bit about what it's like from the receiver's end, because it's not just going to automate. I think people are a little nervous. It's not just going to automatically play 
when it when it comes through. It's not like that. Was it Nextel who had like that walkie talkie feature where all of a right. sudden your phone would just beep beep and someone would start talking? That that's not what this is. I get a little nervous when you say walkie talkie feature, David. Right. So no, I mean, if I send you, so, okay, Katie and I are working on a project and I say, you know, okay, Katie, I just got off the phone with John. Um, we're going to be rehabbing this house next week and here the inspections happening this week and the, the, the rent is $700 a month. And I send you that message. Um, and, and oh, by the way, can you check with my assistant to make sure that we have the, like, there's a lot you can just cram into that like 20 seconds. Right. And, Yes, on you as the recipient, it doesn't automatically play. It comes through as a little, like a little line with a like little, little, little wavy lines, little wave lines, plus a little play button. Now, if you hold it up to your head, it'll play, right? It'll, it, when you pick it up from the ground or from your pocket and hold it up to your ear, it'll auto play in your ear. So it's not going to broadcast for everyone to listen. Um, or you can just tap play and it'll play in a speaker mode. So if you're holding it away from you, it, iOS is smart enough to know that it's not next to your head and it'll play out loud for you, um, which is great. So you're holding it up to your head, you get that message, and then it usually, it, it, the default is I think it disappears in two minutes. So it's not sucking down your, you know, your space on your hard, on your phone. It'll disappear in two minutes. It's gone. But it, just to be clear, it disappears in two minutes after it's been played. It's not like you have only two minutes to listen to it. And you can change that in settings. So you can have it where it never disappears or it disappears after a certain amount of time. Sometimes if there's a really important message that comes through from my assistant uh, or my uh, or my operations manager where she's listed a couple of things that I need to take action on, I'll hit keep. So there's a little thing that pops up that says uh, keep. Um, you just tap that and it never goes away. And I'll go back to that. That's rare. I don't usually ever keep them, but occasionally I do and I want to save that. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it and I'll reference it. Maybe I'll open my notepad and I'll put something in OmniFocus and I'll take action on it later. To me, there, I mean, that's how compelling it is. I just think it's an incredibly compelling way of communicating in iOS that most people don't know. But I've sort of trained my entire extended family to use it. My wife and I use it all the time. We just had a baby, so she's, you know, a baby in one arm. It's way easier to just pick up one-handed, hold it up to your head, and automatically iOS is smart enough to do that little ding, and it'll start recording. And so she doesn't have to type anything. She can hold it up to her head and fire off a quick message. Hey, where did you put the diapers? Can you do this? And it automatically sends right to me, which is another great feature of the voice messages feature in iOS. So here's one question, and you talked about it a little bit. And one of the things we've talked about on the show is sometimes it's hard to take things from text messages, which, you know, this goes into that same interface, and and get them then into your task management system because you never quite know what to do with them. And I would imagine that's especially so if someone's sending you a voicemail or a voice message or whatever you want to call them, voice memo that then has, you know, action steps that you need to take or if you're receiving it. I mean, unless you're in a spot where you can jot down and take notes and move them directly into your task management system, that can be hard. Is there a way to forward these messages into your task management system? Or do you have a, a system for putting them somewhere so that if you need to follow up later, you can? Sure. I mean, you can certainly hit keep, which I do, or you can you can copy and paste them. So if I need to fire off this message to somebody else, that's another great sort of hidden feature of iOS is the ability to copy and paste these files from one iOS message to, the, to another. Do you guys ever do that? For instance, if I were to send you a voice message and you wanted to send it to Katie, because I'm talking about the show, hey, on you know Mac Power Users episode 361, let's talk about this. You wanted to share that with Katie. You can literally cut and paste that audio file and drag it right over into another message thread and send it if you wanted to. 
Now you can also do that with text and I've done it with text. I have not done it with an audio file, but I'm kind of new to the game on this audio file thing, but you're making me a believer. I mean, I love it. It, it to me, especially in the family, right? I mean, if you think about the the most communications you do in a day are probably with your family, um, and then your team. If you work, you know, in an office, uh, you, you have a team under you, and I've got a lot of employees now, and so I can send off these messages quickly. You know, when you're driving, etc., and you don't have to, you, you do not want to be typing. But to be able to just hit the microphone and record your voice while you're driving is also incredibly powerful and safer than, you know, trying to type a message on the side of the road on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles or something like that. So, um, but to be able to put it in your task manager, I think even just saving it, maybe even moving it into Evernote if you wanted to, or dragging that audio file and saving it into a notes field if you want, um, that's a way to do it. To me, I just take action on those things. If there's something I know I need to do, then I'll even use the the Siri feature to just say uh, right inside of um, you know OmniFocus, you know, add this to my uh, add this to my reminders list. Yeah, reminders list. You know, oops, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, right? There you go. I appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm reminded of how to do that. But um, so there are ways I think to just take action on. A lot of it is just an inflection, I think, with what you're trying to accomplish and being able to communicate in a way that you can't with text. I think that's why this is such a powerful feature. But there are some big bugs, and I don't think Apple pays attention to it, and that's why it's so frustrating for me. What are the bugs you're seeing? All right. So here's my biggest, here's my biggest white whale. Apple, please. I know you're listening and I'm far too lazy to write a support ticket. So I know there are far, there are other people out there who are far less um, uh, ADD than me who are willing to take action on this. But when you hold up the phone next to you, it'll record for a brief, about 10 to 12 seconds. So if I just pick up the phone and I record a message next to my head, it'll record an auto send to the person that I've opened the text field to. So for instance, my wife, right? I, I have an iOS message. She asks me a question. I hold it up to my head. It usually records for about 10 to 12 seconds where it'll auto send. Beyond that, if I keep prattling on, it'll require me to hit the little up arrow in iOS and then it'll fire it off. For whatever reason, if you talk too long and you, and you hit that little up arrow, the message disappears. And I kept waiting through all of the betas. I sent support tickets through all of the betas and then the gold, and then it launches and still it's there. So if I record like a 20 second message, holding it up to my head and I tap the little up arrow when I'm done, it disappears. It just vanishes. It's like the touch field doesn't exist. I don't know why it does that. So instead I have to hold it in my hand, hold it like I'm typing, press the little microphone and record for as long as I'd like, and then send it. So the big bug is that it sits there and disappears every, every single time. And it's a huge frustration in my family. Yeah, that, that would be. And it's funny because I sometimes I wonder um, how much power using is going on inside Cupertino because all these bugs really are at the edge of these items where somebody says, oh, this is a really good idea. Now I'm going to take it up a notch. And, and th- that's where you run into trouble going up the notch. It doesn't always work so well. Well, I want to move us on a little bit to because we've got, uh, you know, a ton of hidden features and underused features in this outline and we've just hit number one. So I'm going to move us on a little bit because we won't we will never finish this outline, which that's OK. Clinton can come back. But I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about messages while we're in messages. We talked about audio messages. There are a couple of features that I use quite uh, well. One I use quite a bit. One I use never at all um, in messages that I that I think are, are not talked about. Um, 
One is the ability now that you um, can send read receipts selectively to specific people. I mean, I always like to know when people have read my messages. So I'm like, are you just ignoring me or did you get it? Because, you know, I'm not a big fan of just replying for reply sake, but I, I do just want to know that you've read it. And so I always kind of courtesy turned on read receipts. But then, you know, there are people who you don't really want to know that you read their message because you really are ignoring them and you don't you don't necessarily want to respond right away. <laughs> um, right. Not everybody, but just there are a few people. Um, so I used to universally, it, you, you could either universally have read receipts on or read receipts off. And that was something that changed in iOS 10 is if you turn read receipts off in message settings, you can now go in and individually turn them on um, for specific contacts. So what I've done is I've I've turned it off universally, but then I've gone in and turned it on for, you know, people in my immediate fa- family or friends. And David, yes, it's on for you as well. Um, I, so that, I figured it was. Yeah. So you know when I'm ignoring you. Um, so specific people know when I've read their message or when I haven't. A related one that's very useful, I think, is uh, these uh, do not disturb on individual threads, which is uh, a new thing in messages. I love that because right it, sometimes in the family, they just get a little nutty. And uh, so I just say I got to like, you know, peace out of those. I made the mistake of a few, like two years ago. My mom was, I don't know, going, I don't know, my, my sister just had a baby and. And for like, it was like hours back and forth to the baby. And, and I was like, I get it. You know, I, I, and, and I, and I removed myself from the conversation and that showed up to everyone. Clayton removed himself from the conversation and boy, did, <laughs> boy, did I hear about that for a while. So the ability to just do not disturb a specific thread is way more important uh, than I can shut myself out of the baby thread. And can we take this moment and perhaps get a lot of feedback, but let's talk about iMessage and text message etiquette for a minute. I don't think it's appropriate to send mass text messages to people. I mean, maybe to your immediate family if if there's a very specific reason to, but I, I've seen, and this is where you get into the issues of having the constant dings, someone sent a text message to everyone in their address book. And I don't know if this is an Android feature or, or what, you know, wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. So on Christmas day, somebody just sends out a text message to everybody in their address book, Merry Christmas, exclamation point. All day long, everybody is replying. Thanks, you too. Hope, you know, and I'm like, stop it. Well, also for me, I mean, not to circle us back to audio message, to me, there's an, like an etiquette involved in the way that people deal with audio messages. So for whatever reason, I cannot get Renee Ritchie to ever send an audio message. So I'll send him an audio message because I know that he won't send it back. He'll text back. I don't know why. I don't know if there's some, he's just, he's like, I don't like the sound of my voice, but I'm like, you do 80 podcasts a week. What do you mean? So like, I don't get, but, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll send like a message to our mutual friend, John Gruber, and he'll Sometimes he'll send an audio message back, but he's very like deliberate in his enunciation of it. He's like, hi, Clayton, I'm responding. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll get a text back and I'm like, okay, well then is it, what sort of etiquette is involved in responding to certain iOS messages? If you hear a voice, should you respond in voice or should you (laughs) just respond in text? What's the appropriate protocol here? Yeah, and I and I grew up dictating, so right. I I still kind of catch myself saying Clayton, comma, new paragraph. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I can see myself doing that. I think it depends on where you are and and what you can do. I mean, if you're at work or at a place where it's not appropriate to send a voicemail back, then 
you know, don't. So we got we got one more uh, hidden or uh, unused feature in messages, and that is the picture features. And um, uh, it's really much nicer with iOS 10. Uh, you can forward multiple pictures where before it was a kind of a pain in the neck to do that. Um, the image search. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize it, that you can actually search images now right there as you're composing. Why, why are you telling people this? Nobody, nobody needs to do this. Oh, I meant, I meant searching GIFs. Yeah, you can search your own images. Oh, GIFs? Or GIFs. GIFs or GIFs. But nobody needs to be searching and sending me GIFs. <laughs> no, nobody Wait needs to be second. doing that. Are you telling me that if I send you more GIFs that will, that will bother you? You will be blocked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Note for future. <laughs> Send uh, Katie only gifs. Yeah. So okay. here's how crazy I am. I mean, I think I I use I you know iMessages to run my whole company because so we'll have a contractor out at a property and we want progress photos on the rehab and I'll get thirty photos in a line. You know, this is one two three Main Street with thirty photos, and I need to be able then to send those to my operations manager and then all, whatever. Right. And so it's a, it's a great, great feature um, in iOS 10 to be able to tap lightly uh, force press lightly on the image where, you know, you'll get all the, the heart, the thumbs up, the ha ha, the exclamation mark will pop up at the top. And then below that, the field will say copy, save and more. So when you tap on more, then it, all the photos slide to the right and you get all those check mark availability on the left hand column. And so you can go through and those 30 photos, you know, David and I, I know I was probably complaining last time I was on the show about being able to send multiples within iOS 10 or on the iPad, but be able to do that and tap 20 pictures at a time and then tap the little forwarding arrow and send those right to my operations manager. That is such a powerful feature. Thank you, Apple, for allowing us to do that in iOS 10. I feel like it's a tease. It's like, okay, so you have the capability of doing multiple selections somewhere in the iOS. Right. For the love of all that is holy, please expand this in iOS 11. Right. And maybe it's, you know, something with force press. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So on the iPad, we don't have that capability to be able to tap on those fields and do it in the same way that we can on the iPhone. And just an update, everyone, David is now sending me GIFs during the show. <laughs> yes, but they're Star Trek, so you really can't complain. <laughs> I really can't. Um, I want to talk um, about a related, and that is the phone app, because people forget that the iPhone is still a phone. And I think I use my iPhone, and I know you do as well, David, actually for a phone quite a bit, because I think it's, you know, we use it for business and those types of purposes. But the phone app actually got quite a bit better uh, recently as well. Um, one feature that I found that I don't know, I wrote a blog post on this and got a lot of feedback that people didn't know that this exists, um, is a feature called emergency bypass. Now, for years, Apple has had the do not disturb feature, which basically meant you could put your your phone in do not disturb mode so that you wouldn't get notified of, you know, messages or, or notifications or things like that. But then you could you could set up a specific group of people, maybe your favorites or maybe a group that you had in your address book to be exemptions to that. So if you wanted to make sure that you always got notifications from your immediate family or from a specific group of people, you could do that. Um, the uh, emergency bypass feature 
lets you do that on a one by one on an individual basis. So um, you can now go in and set individual contacts to be emergency bypass. And you can do this both for phone calls and for text messages, which you couldn't do uh, with D&D. So if there's a group of people or a specific person that you always want to make sure can get through, you can go in at the contacts level and set them, which is great. I mean, I've got my immediate family, but then I also have things like the company that monitors my home alarm. I've, I've bypassed and the company that monitors my grandparents, um, you know, emergency button, I've got bypassed so they can always get through no matter what time it is. And so those are, those are good features. I didn't even know about that. That's fantastic. They, uh, they also have call blocking now and I don't really have a lot to say about it except that it exists. I haven't, I, I've got on my list in OmniFocus to test out some of the apps to figure out what I like. But, um, you know, with the spammers or I guess what you call the robo dialers are now going after mobile. That's something you're going to want to look into. Well, iOS has that built in, too, right? I mean, with call blocking. No, no. Well, it depends. Um, AT&T, it depends on who your carrier is. AT&T here in the United States um, has their own call blocking built in. But if you're on one of the other carriers, not necessarily. I mean, well, you can certainly block the caller, right? So if you tap in, you know, if you tap on, you know, you're in your recent call history and you tap on the little eye icon. And by the way, I think that's an underutilized little icon. The the, the, the lowercase i, the whatever it is, that the info eye icon. I think that's what it stands for, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. It, it just tap on that in every app that you're in, and you're going to just discover so many great little hidden features inside of all the apps that you use every day. Like, for instance, the recent calls, just tapping on that opens up, you know, the ability to share your contacts, share your location, create new contact, add to existing contacts, and then block this caller. And then when you tap on the block this caller, you can block that contact. You can make sure that that person – I think what happens is it just goes right to voicemail. So they won't be able to receive phone phone calls or messages or FaceTime, it'll just go right to voicemail. Um, but other than that, so that's built in iOS. Yeah. And it will block iMessages, but I don't believe it will block text messages. And and that's good for one-on-one. Like if there's a specific person that you you want to block, unfortunately, you know, these, these robo callers and these spam callers, you know, they're calling you from a different number every other day. So, um, you know, the block feature doesn't work so well because you block it and it just pops up with a different different caller ID, different number, you know, a couple of days later. So what iOS 10 introduced is it introduced an API where developers can now build call blocking apps that basically keep a library or a database of these um, suspected or known bad numbers and then can tell you if the call that you're receiving is suspected to be from a spammer or a solicitor or someone that they've got otherwise flagged in their database as being uh, suspect for some reason. And so these companies who, you know, do this, they have databases of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of suspect numbers, whereas you may only have a couple of dozen in your block list. Uh, I've been using one called Haya. It, it makes me a little nervous. That's the one that I wrote up on my blog because it does ask you for access to your contacts. And the reason that it asks you for access to your contacts is because it figures anybody in your contacts is going to add to their whitelist. So that's one of the ways that they kind of build their their whitelist. And supposedly they don't use it for any reason other than that. But you always got to wonder once you send them your contacts, what do they do with it after that? Yeah. Once they have the data, it's not going away. Yeah. But I've I've I found it to be pretty good. You can either set it to um, to block a call um, automatically, like if it's from a suspected spammer or suspected solicitor to block it automatically. 
or just to put up a flag, uh, which is what I've done. And, um, and then I can decide whether I want to block it. How many calls is it blocking like in a week? Um, I would say probably 90% of my spam calls are getting blocked. How many is that? I don't know. I don't know how many I get, but a couple, a half dozen. I want to thank Eero for their sponsorship of Mac Power Users. As you know, everything in our home now requires an internet connection. My ISP went down the other night, and it seems like nothing worked. Speakers, thermostats, light bulbs, door locks, security cameras, and everything in between. And streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, Spotify, Apple Music, we all depend on our Wi-Fi to work. And the Wi-Fi is the foundation of it all because everything is wireless now. But Wi-Fi is fundamentally broken. Connections can be slow and inconsistent and unresponsive. To get the best possible connection today, you really need more than just one wireless base station. You need a distributed system that can provide you with connection all over your home. Previously, this has been expensive to do, but not anymore. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. Now, this isn't one of those simple expanders that you add on to your existing wireless network. Each Eero has two radios inside, which keeps your connection fast and everything in sync with one simple network name. You download the Eero app on your iOS or Android device, and it will walk you through the step-by-step process of setting up your Eero network. It is quick and painless, and the Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hands so you'll know how many devices are connected at any given moment, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider. Uh, like I said, my ISP went down a couple of nights ago. I contacted Eero support. Turns out it was my ISP's problem, but they were absolutely amazing. They stayed on the phone with me. They helped me try some troubleshooting things. Ultimately, we just had to wait for the ISP to come back up again, but they really spent a lot of time, and I appreciated the experience of being able to talk to a live person who took my concerns at hand. Setup with Eero has been super simple, and my Wi-Fi has been rock solid ever since I added the Eero network to my home. The average house in the U.S. is easily connected between two or three Eros, so a three-pack is a great starting point. If you live in a large house and need more, you can add up to 10 total, and because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, you can always return one of the Eros if you end up not needing it. If you want to find out more about Eero and get one for yourself, head over to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And just for listening to the show, because we know you'll want to get started ASAP, they'll give you free overnight shipping. After checkout, just enter the code MPU. Thanks so much to Eero for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. You know, at the top of the show, I should have said, I really feel like, as we've talked a lot lately about, can you be a power user with an iOS device? And to me, I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about in this show are those little hidden features that allow you to be a power user. It's a different kind of power user. There's no doubt about that. And sometimes it's not as much of a power user, but you can squeeze a lot more out of this iPhone and this iPad if you pick up some of these tips. So uh, with that in mind, why don't we go on to gestures? Because I think that's another one a lot of people don't realize. Um, One of the most popular, or I guess, I guess, how do you say the best uh, but and yet underused features is the four finger swipe on iPad. Have you guys played with that? Yeah, I don't use it as much as I'd like. Um, I sort of forget that it's there. And I think that's the case with a lot of these features. Um, you maybe forget or never are taught that they're there to begin with. And they're sort of discoverable, you know, from a friend, I guess. Um, but yeah, within an app, um, being able to just four fingers and swipe, you know, or sl- slide from the left side of the screen and be able to move those over um, 
you know, can be powerful and be able to like close apps, slide between apps without having to hit the home button and be able to just use those gestures to slide and move, you know, uh, you know, take action on items much more quickly. Yeah. For instance, I'm quite often jumping between OmniFocus, Apple Notes and Mail. And if I've got them all open, just putting four fingers on the screen and swiping left to right or right to left, I can jump between those apps. That's way faster than hitting the home button, finding the appropriate icon and launching the app again. And as you start doing it, once it becomes second nature to you, um, that is something that will definitely up your game in terms of multitasking. And if you're on the iPhone, they've got a cool feature here that I don't use this one that much. I, this is one that I always forget is there. If you force press or 3D touch on the left side of the iPhone screen and just swipe to the right, it's the same thing. You're switching between, it's an app switcher in essence. You get to switch to the more recent apps. And um, that's a feature that that is way faster than going to the home button and blah, blah, blah swiping down you, you just uh, force press on the left side of the screen and you pull it over are you guys using that one i didn't even know about that one until you brought it up i knew about the forefinger but i didn't know about the force touch that's a good one yeah it, it's it's really faster if you if you can internalize it and all this stuff i guess what i would say if you're listening to the show write down a few that are are useful to you and get those down don't try and do them all at once or you'll not get any of them just get a couple to stick and then go back and listen again you can find a couple more Right, it's sort of like using keyboard shortcuts, right? It's like get get those like two or three that you can like nail down and put on your like a post-it note on your Mac and like learn those and then, you know, then worry about the 8 or 10 of them. Yeah. I think in general to the extent that you can start learning to use gestures, uh, it's going to be a good thing cuz you know the rumor has it that we might lose the home button in the future and that's how we're going to be able to navigate stuff. Well, I mean, if you think about it on the Mac, too, being able to just, you know, two fingers on the trackpad, be able to slide back on Safari and, and go, you know, back pages that way. So you're seeing gestures, obviously, similarly coming to coming to the Mac with the, you know, with the glass trackpad or the magic trackpad. So, yeah, being able to hold down force press on the left side of the screen and open up your app switcher and be able to close apps that way, too. And then even using multiple fingers to close multiple apps at the same time. So if you've got messages open, overcast open and your phone app open, you can take three fingers and tap on all three of those apps at the same time and swipe up and close them if you needed to. Uh, let's talk a little bit about notifications. A lot of people aren't aware of some of the things you can do with them. Um, and by the way, Katie, I haven't told you this yet. Oh boy. <laughs> I, I have a ton of notes on notifications and I was thinking we're going to do this as a segment on a show and I'm starting to think... It's going to be a full show, huh? Yeah, I think we're going to do a full show on notifications because there's so much to know about between the Mac and iOS, ways you can customize this and... And if you if you can make notifications work for you, they're super useful. But if you don't do it right, they just make you insane. So uh, let us know your thoughts because we have a show planned on that. Okay. Okay. Um, so, but let's talk a little bit about notifications today. One of them I thought was cool was custom vibrations for messages. Did you tap out the Imperial March as a custom vibration? Because let me tell you, I have. <laughs> and David, it's your custom vibration. Oh, I love that. I love that. Except I'm not an imperial. I'm rebel well, all the way. But I don't, there's not, I mean, you, with your custom vibrations, you have to keep them very recognizable. And there's not really a rebel recognizable thing hmm. that would work as a vibration. You you think about it and let me know. But I mean, you know right away if your phone goes buzz, 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 buzz. 
Buzz. <laughs> buzz, <Right>. buzz. <laughs> you know? Maybe good. Oh, it's David. Bum, 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 bum. That might be a good one. Yeah. Right. Like Cantina style. Yeah. I, mean, I love custom. Oh, I, only have, I, only have, I only have a few of them set up, but I use one for my wife and one for my close business partner. And so I know when I get that, you know, like knocking on the door style beyond just the one text message that I should take note of this that's coming through. Um, and so, yeah, it's a great way. I mean, look, we're so active, right? And I think about you're out in the park, you're with, you know, you're, you're taking a long walk, you're doing whatever you're doing. You're at the gym, you're driving. And when you get that notification that comes through with those multiple buzzes and you can feel that vibration in your pants, right? Then you know that it's your wife or you know that it's, it's your business partner. And so by setting those little custom, you know, uh, vibrations, it really helps you personalize your interactions and your notifications. Yeah. I, I had the SOS notice for my wife uh, that, you know, save our ship, um, tap out because she would almost never message me. And every time she messaged me, it was like there was a flat tire or something. So, uh, but, that, but now she messages me all the time. So I changed it because uh, either that or it was like, you know, calling Wolf. My, my phone was giving me an SOS every, you know, couple hours. <laughs> well, also you have AirPods in your ears and you're, you know, you're very often you've got your phone in your pocket or your purse. And, you know, with the, with the Apple Watch and there's different ways of communicating, it's these little taps, it's these little nudges that let you know it's this particular individual. And I think that's kind of the future of these types of notifications is uh, that, oh, I can ignore all of these other ones except for my wife. She's sending me this message, this custom ringtone, this little vibration. I need to answer that. And by the way, I don't even need to pull the phone out of my pocket. I can just double tap on my AirPods because I can tell that that's her ringtone or that that's the custom vibration. And it's incredibly powerful. I agree. I agree. You know what the most common thing we got on Twitter when I asked about what are your favorite, you know, hidden features? The by far the most common response was talk about 3D touch. I love 3D touch. And I thought that was interesting because it seems to me like it's an unsung feature. You don't hear many people talking about it. But a lot of Mac Power users, uh, listeners, love 3D Touch. I think it's it's something that I did not use for so long because, as you know, David, I just upgraded to the seven, and I had a, a three, excuse me, a six before that that didn't have 3D Touch for the longest time. And it was really, I think, Allison Sheridan who did a series on 3D Touch and encouraged me to really go explore 3D Touch, and it's available in a lot more places than you think. And really, really useful. I think developers are starting to adopt it. And I would encourage you, just as an experiment, just start 3D touching on the apps on your home screen and see what happens. And I think you'll be surprised at some of the things you can do. We've got 3D touch features sprinkled throughout this whole outline, even though we've got this individual subject, but there's a lot of places that it appears in. Yeah, I mean, and it also lets you in on the developers that are not really, you know, doing much with it. So for instance, you can, you know, you can, for, you can 3D touch on the Google app, right? So if you've got that on your home screen, go ahead and hit that. And what you'll notice is that there's a voice search, search for images, search incognito, share Google and, and quick search. So boom, like all of these options pop up quickly for you to take action on and a voice search. I mean, how often do we just want to say, you know, what's the temperature in Idaho tomorrow? And so to be able to do that with Google voice search just from a 3D touch is great. But then you go over to the Sirius XM app, which I use every day, and you click on that for 3D touch and you can tell that they don't, they don't update the app much and it's kind of terrible. And the only thing they want you to do with that is share Sirius XM. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that is not uh, their feature. That's an <laughs> iOS feature. So that, that was something Apple did for them. Right. It's like they didn't even bother doing anything. So Apple puts the default share this app with someone. Yeah. There's so many great ways to utilize uh, 3D Touch. I think the one way that's underutilized that could use more is on notifications. So it's kind of combining, as you mentioned, David, like the 3D Touches throughout iOS, but on notifications as they come through. So you know, for instance, I would love for Ring. I installed Ring doorbells um, at Christmas uh, on our back door and on our front door. And I would love to be able to take action on those items beyond just it gives me a further extension of what I'm seeing on the notification. So if I get a, a Ring, there's motion at your front door and I tap on it. All it does is enlarge that notification, but does nothing for me. You know, it does not show, does not show video, does not let me see video at all. It doesn't like let me actually take action on that in any kind of meaningful way. Yeah, like, and in in contrast, the automatic app, automatic uh, was a sponsor of the show. I'm not sure they are anymore, but no, but they should totally come back. Yeah, well, I've got an automatic in my car. I I got the new one by the way with the GPS, which is awesome, and the um. And when I get a notification, if I if I 3D touch it, I can tag it as a business trip right on the notification screen without going into the app. And that to me is an example of doing it right. Um, another 3D touch thing I don't I want to say before I forget, is, and this is one I just discovered prepping the show. Somebody put it in the outline. I don't know if it was you or Katie, but when you have um, you know when you you're downloading a bunch of apps. And uh, so, so you've got, you know, let's say you update all, you hit the update all button and you've got like 17 apps uploading, but you really need to get into Slack and Slack is going to be number 20 on the update list. If you 3D touch on the app while it's updating, while it's gray, you can say, move this one to the top of the line or pause this update while I do some work in it. And um, that was a feature I didn't know was there, or a 3D touch feature that I'm now going to use all the time. That's great. I didn't know about that either. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so many great, I'm just thinking through all the different apps that take advantage of this. I mean, a lot, of, of course, the Apple apps with music you tap on, you know, play Beats 1 and do a quick search for the music that you want, uh, because launching iTunes or launching the music app sometimes can be a little unnerving, like, where do I go? But the 3D touching of apps kind of gets you to those things that you most like, you know, most want to use on a regular basis. Um it's that idea of not necessarily having to launch apps fully to take advantage of why you would want to use them in the first place. Like Shazam, uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to launch Shazam, but if I could just, you know, for 3D touch on Shazam to listen to, I mean, what's the whole reason you download an app like Shazam, right? I just want to find out what the song is that I'm that I'm hearing on the radio when I'm at the Gap at the moment, right? Yeah. You know, I don't need to launch Shazam to do all of this, but if I just force press on it or 3D touch, then I'm able to take action on that without having to launch it. It's to me that the 3D touch on the icons and frankly, 3D touch just throughout the operating system. It's very similar to the period in time when we went from using one button on our Macs to two. And suddenly you had this contextual stuff you could do with a second button. And um, it feels to me like this brings a second click to to iOS. And it's something that you should be using. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who just like Katie just got themselves a new phone and they were used to the six or the five before. And they've got 3D touch now. And you may not be aware of it, but just start 3D touching all over the place in your phone and you're going to find some ways to get faster. So let's move forward a little bit because um, 3D touch we're going to cover a little bit throughout you know, as it comes up in some of these other tips, let's move on to Safari. And one of the enhancements that came with Safari in iOS 10 
is you can now open, I think it's unlimited number of tabs, um, but that can also get a, a little unwieldy to deal with because you got a lot, you can now have a lot more open in your browser and kind of dealing with 3D touch. One of the, um, one of the new features in Safari is if you um, open up kind of like you're going to open up a new tab in Safari, but if you long press on the done button, it will close all of your open pages. So if you want to close all of your open Safari pages quickly, there's now a way to do that. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is you can go into the tab view. There's a little plus button at the bottom. And if you, I think if you long press that, I think 3D touch will work too, but I know long press will work on it. Um, you get Safari opens up to show you the recently closed tab. So if you close something accidentally, just long press the plus button and you can get back to it. Um, uh, another one, this is one that we got from, I believe, Twitter or Facebook. Somebody wrote in with this one I didn't know existed. If you long press the refresh tab uh, in Safari, it will give you the non-mobile version of the page. So if you're doing something where you, you just need to see the desktop version, you can do that with the refresh button. Right. And that's also a good tip, especially if you need to use certain websites, like, for example, the Oh, gosh, it's not mobile me. iCloud. Ah, there you go. The iCloud website, uh, you can only do very, very limited things if you are looking at it on a mobile browser. But if you can tell Safari to load it, the non-mobile version, uh, you can have access to the full site. Have you tested that? I think it works. I think I've done it before. Yeah, I don't know. I think it really, I think with iCloud, it's going to be pretty particular, but but it just depends. So. That's pretty great because I mean, we're using some workflows that I use like to download, you know, if it's like a file or YouTube video or something like that, and you need to have the desktop version of something to be able to access it, to be able to tap on that little refresh button and have it go right to the desktop version instead of hunting and pecking around the page, trying to find it, uh, request desktop site. It's a killer feature. And also in that address bar too, if you're reading a news article, of course, um, I use this all the time in, in the news business that I'm in, um, to just, you know, strip all of the images and everything else out and just be able to read the, um, the, the clean uh, copy, the clean yeah. copy of it by tapping the left side of the URL bar, um, and be able to just to read the text. Yeah, I did do it, David, it works, but I will not tell you that it's at all optimized for, um, <laughs> for mobile. I bet. I bet. Um, I had a couple for reminders and these are not so new, but they're just ones to kind of keep on the radar. Um, location based reminders have been here since the beginning of reminders and Siri. Uh, I really like the feature to say, you know, I'm driving home. I'll say, remind me to water the ficus when I get home. And it does, it, it creates a reminder. It's location sensitive. So when I pull in the driveway, I get the message. Um, a lot of times when I'm leaving or going or coming back, I find those location-based reminders quite useful. I don't think it's the best solution for like saying going to the grocery store or whatever, because the way they do it, you need to set the location for each individual task, which, which gets counterproductive. But in terms of just setting them with Siri, when you're going or coming back to a common place like work or home, it can be really useful. All right. Um, you you want to... Anything else about reminders? I mean, we've talked quite a bit about, um, you know, using like reminders to hook into other apps because some other apps hook into reminders, but I think a lot of that's going to be based on app support. Yeah. And, and the shared ones shared. We've talked about that in the past, but you can share reminder lists, which is nice too. But, but the, uh, the location stuff is one that I don't think many people use. Mm-hmm. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Get more efficient, get more effective, and have fun while you're doing it with Text Expander. So much of the work we do on computers and tablets and phones involves words. And when you think about it, typing the same words repeatedly is just crazy. That's just time lost. These are computers, after all. They should be able to do this for you. And they can with Text Expander. Think about all the times you've typed the same thing more than once, whether it's something simple like your cell phone number or something complex like a whole sales proposal. The person receiving that doesn't care whether you sat and laboriously typed it one key at a time with your pinky or if a computer just spit all that text in right away. It's the same thing for them. So don't waste your time doing it the slow way. Have the computer do it for you. And that's where Text Expander comes in. Text Expander can take any small bit of text you type in and expand it to a great big set of text. And it's a lot more than just text replacement. Text Expander has a powerful fill in the blank tool so you can add custom fields. I do this with emails to clients all the time. They never know that I'm using Text Expander snippets. Everything looks personalized because of the fill in the blank form, but it allows me to get through things very quickly. I also use Text Expander all the time when I'm working through online forums because I have all my key data, like my phone and my address, saved as Text Expander snippets. I can insert them very quickly. In the last year, Text Expander has become very cloud friendly. You can take your snippets with you. So whether you're working on your Mac, your iPad, or your iPhone, you're still going to have all those great snippets right there. They've even made their own keyboard for iOS, and they have some really cool new features that allow you to auto-insert snippets on iOS as well. The uses for Text Expander are really almost unlimited. I use them to create contract terms. I use them to send out common emails to the publishing side of my business. I even have a cool text expander snippet that creates a little form for me every time I read a book. I write down the name of the author, when I read it, what my thoughts were, and if I'd read it again. I even have a field for people that I'd recommend the book to. And that's all done with a text expander snippet. I just fire off book review without a space, and it gives me the form, and I can just fill it in. Super easy. If you haven't tried out text expander yet, it's time. Head over to textexpander.com and sign up. And let us know what you're doing with all that time you're saving now that you found Text Expander. So, Clayton, are you a uh, an iPhone photographer? I am. You know, I have my my what Sony um, uh, A7R two that I get out like once a month to take pictures of my baby. You know, every month where my wife reminds me, "Hey, it's the month anniversary." You know, <laughs> month Glamour birthday, shot. take photos. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, or take them on vacation. But for the most part, yeah, almost every photo I take is is iOS. And I'm a, you know, huge photography buff and um, take a lot of photos and process a lot of things in Lightroom. I just get so frustrated that people don't know. I mean, on on our show, you know, we'll have celebrities and senators and presidential candidates and people want to take photos all the time, right? Everyone's handing fo- their cameras to the camera crew that use these m- thousand dollar huge cameras to take pictures right and none of them know about some of the awesome features inside the camera app in ios yeah with the baby i bet you're i bet you're using the heck out of burst mode you know since when burst mode launched i was so excited and i i've used burst mode all the time most people don't just i'm so, so surprised at how many people don't use it uh when they're out and about or just like i said taking pictures on the set and those sorts of things well, well explain it real quick cuz i'm sure some people don't know what it is yeah just to to force press on 
the the, the photo button when you're taking a picture. Um, yeah, just hold it down. Yeah, just hold it down, and you're going to get, you know, it's going to make this little sound. You're, you you hold it down, it's going to take a continuous amount of photos. It's going to, you know, nonstop number of photos, and it, it enables you in those moments when you've got five people standing in the sun, you're going to get one of those 30 photos you just took is going to have everyone's eyes open. Everyone's not going to be blinking. Somebody's not going to be looking off at the bird that just pooped on their friend off camera. Everyone in one of those 30 photos, you're going to get the best picture. And what's amazing, too, is that Apple somehow photo magically manages to put a little carrot, a little arrow on the photo that Apple deems as the best photo out of that bunch quickly, super fast. I don't know how they're doing it. It is some amazing magic because when you go through that burst of 30 photos and you try to find the one that you think is best, nine times out of 10, Apple has found the one that's the best of the, uh, the best of the bunch. And if you're taking pictures of like three-year-olds, this right. is like the killer feature for the iPhone because they never have their eyes open when you think they should. But if you just like it, like Clayton said, you just run that thing for a couple seconds and you're probably going to be fine. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a feature a lot of people don't use. Another one that people don't use is the um, is the the photo roll. Now, when you take a picture, you see the, the image in the lower left hand of the screen. And if you tap that, it gets you what we call a photo roll. It shows you the most recent pictures you've taken. But unknown to a lot of people, swiping up on that gets you some more information. It shows you the geolocation of the photo. It shows you related pictures and even has a from this day photo button. I um I find it really nice when going through the images after I take them before getting into the full kind of photos workflow to just kind of check them out in the photo roll, swipe up and make any adjustments there. Now, how do you guys manage? I know you guys talked on a, a recent podcast about managing photos and especially having tons of those photos. Katie, what was that app you recommended about going through and sort of cleaning up those duplicates or just like extra? Photo Sweeper. Um, Gemini will do it too, I believe, but Photo Sweeper is really more dedicated for photos and it will find exact duplicates and then it will find like very similar photos. So if you're wasn't it wasn't it Power Photos too? It's Power Photos Power is the other one. Power Photos is the other one that will do it. Photo Sweeper is the one that I've used. And and David, you had mentioned one about like once a month you do a particular one because I mean I have a lot of bursts, right? And so yeah. you know, a lot of times you take those bursts and then you don't go through and take action on those bursts and then you end up with 30, 60, 30, 60, you know, and all these batches of photos and you haven't like taken action on those. Well, you can with the burst mode, you can actually, there's a setting to have it get rid of the extras um, so that you can uh, you can uh, optimize that. But the, you know, Gemini and Power Photos, those are apps that work on your Mac. Now, there's another app I use on the phone called Flick, F-L-I-C. And all it does is open up your photos. And if you, I believe if you swipe it to the left, you keep it. If you swipe it to the right, you delete it. And it just shows your images. And you can just, you know, swipe with your thumb, left, right, left, right. And it's a great way to just thin the herd, you know, because whenever I, I really start taking pictures with my camera, uh, I suffer from the disease that all the people that used to have film cameras suffer in that I just want to take a lot of pictures because it used to be so forbidden to do that. You know, right. I, I was talking to my sister when we were kids, we had like one roll of film for the year. I remember we'd get it developed and it would have like, you know, Feb would have it would have, you know, Halloween and 
and and Valentine's Day and Christmas and everything on one roll because it was a big deal to go, you know, get that developed. So now we shoot a lot, but you can flick through these with the Flick app and you can kind of get rid of the junk ones uh, very quickly. And then they're just out of the system. You don't even have to look at them in photos then. Another cool little feature that I don't think a lot of people know and 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 which is to use the vertical panorama uh, in in the photos. And I don't know how many of you guys, you know, have, if you guys have done this or not, and I forget to do it, but there are a lot of times when maybe you're at Rockefeller Center and there's a huge Christmas tree, right? And you've got the family in front of the Christmas tree and you want to capture the, the, you know, the majesty of that moment. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon or something like that to shoot a vertical panorama instead of a horizontal panorama. All you need to do is just open the pan, you know, panorama mode of the camera as usual and just rotate the phone sideways and open camera, swipe to pano mode and then start shooting it vertically for as high in the sky as you want to go. And you're going to just get a, an incredibly dense, uh, beautiful photo, um, you know, w- with all of the the image, the imaging that the iOS software is doing in a way that you don't just get with a single shot. I actually have a funny story about that. Just a couple about a month ago, I was at Disneyland and we were in front of the big tree, you know, on, on Main Street. And right. So, so I took a vertical panorama of my family. And there was a guy standing next to me and he's like, wait, what did you just do? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I showed him and then another guy. Saw, so it turned into like a it was like a genius bar session on how to take vertical panoramas in front of the Disneyland Christmas tree. And this lady walks up to me, and says, you need to show me on my phone. I don't know what it is about my face, but I just turn into the guy to start showing people how to use their phones. And I'm like, oh, this is Android. It doesn't work. And then she got really mad. <laughs> I think I sold an iPhone that day. So you're welcome, Apple. <laughs> and somebody will write me in and say it does work on Android, and I'm sure it does, but I don't care. Right. And you wouldn't know how to find it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, also related to photos is in the in the, the viewing of the photos, a thing that uh, several people wrote in, I believe, on the Facebook saying that they really like that the, now you can see your photos on a map. And it used to be really wonky the way that did in iOS, but uh, more recently they've added a special album that just says places, you know? So if you're in the photos app, go into the albums and click on the, the places album and you'll see a big map with all your photos on it. And it's a very nice way to organize your pictures. I hope like a next level um, tweak on that is to be able to, I don't want to say copy and paste, but select. So that way you could organize from a particular trip. So we re- we just went to Scotland. So to be able to maybe encircle with your finger that particular trip, you know, given those those highlights on the map, and then be able to coalesce those into those moments that Apple was put, you know, featuring during the summer, right? And, and at WWDC and all these great features with moments and videos to be able to cultivate that one trip in by somehow selecting those on the map. You can't do that yet, but I would love it if Apple would add that. Yeah. And, and another thing that iOS could use, and please write in if you've got an answer for this, because I've had several people ask me, is there a way to attach GPS data to you know non-metadata photos on iOS? And I know there are several apps that do it, but I haven't had the time yet to go and test them all. But you know, it'd be ideal if you could grab the geolocation from your picture at Disneyland or New York or wherever and just say, okay, apply this now to the 15 images I took with my Sony camera that doesn't have a GPS in it. And um, it'd be really nice to see, you know, something like that. I know there's apps like that, but 
the fact that there are apps doesn't mean that they're good apps. And I haven't had time to figure out which ones are good. All right. Should we move on to music? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a ton in music. You guys probably know more than I, because honestly, I don't use the music app for much other than playing my own downloaded music. I know, um, you know, I don't subscribe to any of the music services. But one of the things I noticed, especially if you don't have a lot of storage on your iPhone, you didn't buy one of the big 128 gigabyte iPhones, um, you can automatically manage your music quota. So if you go into settings, music and downloads, you can set a quota for just how much music uh, your phone keeps on your phone and without, you know, completely blocking out your storage. I wish they would let you do this with photos because the photos just kind of magically manages itself. And that bugs me. I like, I like to be much more hands-on with my, with my storage management. Um, maybe the fact that this feature is in music means that they'll think about bringing it to photos at some point in the future, but it's there. Uh, I've got one that's a, um, a definitely a hidden feature. I don't, and this is in a bad way. <laughs> uh, the idea of if you want to have um, a random or random play, you know, uh, or shuffle, uh, try and do that on the iPhone. There's there's a magic incantation, and a lot of people don't know it. I I was trying to do it uh, about six months ago, and I actually called out on Twitter, and somebody gave me the the answer. So if you're playing a song in the music app and you've got a playlist you have to swipe up with the album view showing and then you get the option to shuffle or repeat um so that's something that's hidden and i think uh, to a lot of people's aggravation one thing i love is over the years making mixtapes and playlists that was something i was i would spend hours and hours and hours doing in fact i just turned 40 last week and my buddy my best friend mike made a um uh, you know, there, there, there's something to be said for that. The music that we love, we probably fell in love with before the age of 20, that those it's very rare that you'll sort of fall in love with new music beyond your twenties. You know, it's sort of ingrained in us. And so he put together a playlist of some new takes on stuff before, uh, from our childhood. And, and he wrote up a whole letter and, and, and a CD and I, you know, I burned it and put it into my iTunes library and so I'm, I'm passionate about playlists and mixtapes and so forth. And so being able to make playlists inside of the music app is really cool, but also being able to do custom, um, custom, uh, album art for your playlist is really cool. So whether it's a photo of, you know, you and your wife at, at, at a romantic dinner or whatever it happens to be, you can do custom photos. So inside of the playlist that you're creating, you know, you tap edit, then you tap the little photo icon, you can take a picture of yourself. So uh, I've got like a soul playlist, you know, where it's just like making funny faces, like, you know, like feeling the soul of this music and then you know, photos of you, you working out on a Peloton bike or whatever it happens to be, but you can customize your playlist with custom photos. And so it's when you scroll down and see your playlist, you know, that that's your workout playlist and uh, you're, you're jogging on the treadmill, whatever, tap it and play. Yeah. I've got this fancy podcasting mic. So I had a bunch of the kids in the family over one day and we all just sat in my iMac and I had them sing songs. I got some music minus one for some Disney and some stuff where I knew they generally knew the words. And they were ranging in ages between like three and like eight. And I made an album for each one of them. Like each one did like three songs. And then I put their faces on. I took a picture of them with like the headphones on in front of the mic. And they thought that was so awesome, you know, that they had this picture in front of the mic. And then we gave it to the moms. It was like a Mother's Day thing we did a couple of years ago. And um, and that's you're right. It, it, it really sold for them when they saw their face on the cover. 
Right. And then you can make it public too. Just by tapping the edit icon, you can tack, you know, can create it as a public playlist and therefore then you can share it. So, you know, it's not just living on your own iPhone. You can share it with whomever you want. Yeah. It's nice. Okay. Well, we had more music than I thought. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that we were going to have a bunch of music tips. Uh, let's talk a little about Control Center because there's a lot of goodiness in there. You know, people have been speculating for a while. Are we going to get the option to modify Control Center or put the buttons that we want in there? And you kind of can a little bit with uh, force pressing, because uh, if you force press on a lot of the control center icons, you get additional options. Like if you force press on the flashlight, it will change levels. And if you um, force press on like the timer button, you can get, you know, different timers like an hour or 20 minutes. Um, the calculator does a bunch of things. The um, the camera does a bunch of things. You should just play around in there and see what you can do in Control Center. Yeah, the whole bottom row of the Control Center, if you 3D touch those buttons, you've got additional options. Um, the the two that I find most useful are the are the flashlight, because like if you get up in the middle of the night, sometimes you don't want the super bright flashlight. And there's three levels. You just 3D touch it and you can pick high, medium or low. And the other one that is very useful is the camera, because when you 3D touch it, it gives you the ability to jump straight to slow-mo or record video or take a selfie. It just goes to the setting you want, which I find faster than opening the app and then swiping whatever direction I need to to get it to work. Um, uh, on the um, second screen, you know, now Control Center has three screens now. You can swipe to the left. The second one is the audio controls. And at first, I really didn't like that they moved the audio controls off the you know the root control center screen because I listen to audio and quite often I'm going to control center for audio. Uh, but there's some really nice touches. One of them is you can change the source. So whether you're playing to you know your AirPods or you're playing to the speaker in the phone or a Bluetooth uh, in your car, uh, you can just swipe up and then select the source. You don't have to go and monkey around in the settings for Bluetooth anymore to change the audio source. And I I use that almost daily. Yeah. And one of the nice things about it is it remembers. So if I am working in the audio control center and I swipe down, the next time I swipe up, it's not going to take me back to page one and make me swipe over. It'll remember whatever the last one I was in. Yeah, I use that all the time, every day, whether it's in my car, I'm on the phone constantly, uh, and I have to switch between AirPods and my car or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Using that feature in control center is powerful. Um, I do... Um, uh, also there, and I, I, I still don't understand why Night Shift ha takes up the amount of space that it does as a feature in Control Center. To me, that needs to be removed immediately. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that real estate. Um, I mean, and even if even if they sort of consolidated somehow with 3D Touch using your um, using your home features, the you know your favorite accessories, and putting in that in that little bar, and being able to force press on that to then flip on your lights or you know turn on your coffee maker or whatever it is, that to me is like the perfect spot to do something like that. Um, but I do you know daily meditations, and so I, I try to do twice a day for twenty minutes. And using the timer, when you force press on it, you're going to get one minute, five minutes, twenty minutes, or one hour. Uh, and, and so I'll tap on 20 minutes and get a gentle, you know, notification after 20 minutes to sort of come out of my meditation. And it's, you know, it's great. Or five minutes for coffee, you know, making brewing coffee in a French press and be able to tap on that and do that. Or just, 
you know, yell at my Amazon Echo to do it. So those sort of preset times in there are pretty powerful. And the flashlight, because I leave for work often at three in the morning or three thirty in the morning, and I'm like fumbling around trying to find underwear. And okay, I'm gonna this undershirt and these sweatpants to stumble off to the office where my suits and ties are, you know. And so I'm in the in the dark. I don't want to wake my wife and the baby. And so to use that flashlight feature when you force press on that for low light, medium light, or bright light uh, is is also great. So I'll tap the low light and kind of stumble around. And where did I put my shoes? <laughs> where did I put this? And you know, it that's also incredibly useful. One other hidden feature I got from a listener on Twitter was um, when you're in the audio uh, control center, if you tap on the artwork, it takes you to whatever app that audio is playing out of. So if you're listening to a podcast in Overcast, you tap on it, it goes into Overcast. If you're listening to Apple Music, it goes to the music app. So it's a nice way to jump to the app. Yeah, I use it. Well, I, I want to say something about it because I, I don't know if people use this a lot or if they they don't care, but YouTube Red I use it all the time. And I know as podcast listeners, you know, you're, you're so used to listening to audio while you're driving, you're taking walks, you're working out. There's so much great content inside of YouTube that you don't need to actually sit and watch it. You could just listen to it. And I, I listen via YouTube Red because it lets you turn off the screen. Um, you know, as a feature of YouTube Red, you don't need to have your screen powered on. You can just listen to it almost like a podcast. And so I listen to YouTube content all the time. And, you know, in, inside of Control Center, being able to tap YouTube, uh, hit play and listen to it as if I'm listening to a podcast. Now, does that download the video still? I mean, are you still getting data? You know, are you still pulling down data if you're off your your Wi-Fi with YouTube? No, Red? no. And then what it'll do is it'll add a little thumbnail to the screen, so it's it's not pulling down the actual video. It's just literally, and it's sort of I don't know how it's working. I mean, it's doing some magic because then when you then relaunch the YouTube app, it'll you'll get a little swirly ball for a second, and it'll cache and then reload at that exact spot where you were just listening. So it's not pulling down the video data. As far as I can tell, because my, I, have, I have not exceeded or gone over since I signed up for YouTube Red, I've not had any expansion in my data usage as a result of it. Um, but I listen to, I know I'm kind of crazy, I've been listening to this Oprah series lately with Eckhart Tolle from like 2006 or 2007. He wrote The Power of Now, and she did this whole like multi-part video series with him back in the day. And I remembered it, and I wanted to listen to it again on my walks. It's like an hour and a half each episode of him. And... You know, I don't want to sit there. I'm out taking a walk. It's freezing here in New Jersey. So I just have it, my phone in my pocket. I'm just listening to his interview and, you know, talking about this. And it's, it's great. I am. Uh, now, just one bit of follow up before we move on to the next one, too, is as the person on the West Coast and the or the left coast, as we're frequently referred to, land of fruits and nuts. I, I feel like I have to tell you for your meditation, there's a better app for that. Don't don't use a timer. I've been using one for a couple of years called Samsara, S-A-M-S-A-R-A. Super nice app. So I use a couple of different ones. And I will say, I'm sure we have a lot of people who meditate in our audience, in your audience. And I find that the, honestly, it just depends on where I'm at at the moment or the audience that I'm in. If I'm in my office before a show or I'm at home and the kid, I find that the Apple watch is the best. Be able to have that custom, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, on the front 
why, why can't I think of it right now? Um, the custom face? The complica- complications. The complication. Yes. Right. So having that one little complication as the timer um, to be able to tap that and a preset one of 21 minutes. So one minute to kind of get into my meditation. And then it just gives me a gentle little nudge when I'm done. Um, and that's really great because you don't want that jarring, you know, alarm going off when you're coming out of a meditation. It kind of defeats the purpose. And so the Apple Watch, I find to be a really great way uh, to use that. So I don't know if you've ever tried that or not, but I love it. I haven't. I, I've been using Samsara so long, but I will give it a try. I, I do use the Apple Watch when it tells me to meditate once in a while. I'll use that as a kickoff to say, OK, but I'll just I'll actually get the cushion out and do it right. I don't just sit there at the desk. All right. So the hippie part is over. I want to thank another longtime sponsor of the show, and that is Squarespace. Remember to enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. You want to make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you create a website for your next idea, your next project, your business, whatever it is. You can start with your own unique domain name and use their award-winning templates and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want a blog. Maybe you're starting a new business. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no backend database to manage, no upgrades needed, nothing to worry about. Squarespace has got you covered. And they've got award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. If you need a domain name, Squarespace can help you with that too. And all those award-winning templates are beautifully designed to let you show off your great ideas and infinitely customizable so you don't look like you've just got another cookie-cutter website. I use Squarespace for all of my websites, for my personal website, for my business website. I've used it to set up websites for friends and family members. You cannot go wrong with a Squarespace plan. They're easy to set up super easy to maintain, and everything looks professional. Squarespace also uses state-of-the-art technology. You don't have to worry about if your site's secure. You don't have to worry about if it's customized for mobile, because more and more visitors are coming to your site via mobile sites now. They've got all-in-one, easy, built-in shopping cart solutions, and a whole lot more. So if you know a friend or colleague who's got a website that could really use a little TLC, or worse yet, if they don't have a website yet for their business or project, do them a favor and turn them on to Squarespace, and maybe even help them get started. It will just take a couple hours of your time and they will be forever grateful. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a free trial right now with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com and customize a new site, get it set up, designed to your heart's content. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. And it will also help show your support for Mac Power users. So some of the major changes that have been making their way slowly but surely through the iPhone are changes to Apple Mail, which is important because this is an app that I use more than any, well, quite a bit on the iPhone. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the, the features that you don't know. Now, David, this is one that I know you learn a lot. You use a lot. I don't use so much. Tell me about sorting and machine learning in Apple Mail. Yeah, they um, they added, this came with iOS 10. And there's, there's always been the ability to, you know, move a message into a specific box. But one of the things they did is start to try and get smarter about doing it for you. Now, one of the features in Apple Mail, if you're an Apple Mail user, you absolutely need to go do this. It's in the settings slash mail, you know, app um, is the swipe feature. So if you've got a the message list, the, the, I guess we'd call the table view list, you've got the list of all your messages. You can have, or if you swipe the message to the left, something happens. If you swipe it to the right, something happens. A lot of people use this to apply flags or to trash or archive a message. 
Um, one of the newer features is the uh, that long swipe gets you into a move field where it opens up a list of all of the, the fields. Now, I use move a lot because I am an active user of like these deferred uh, sane box mailboxes. So when I go through a list of 20 emails, I may say, you know, defer this for two days, um, move this one to archive, blah, blah, blah. So I've got different things I do with them. And what's interesting is Apple Mail is now starting to pay attention to what you do with different types of messages. So when I get a receipt from PayPal that somebody bought a book or whatever, I always archive those. I don't really have a special procedure for them. Um, if I swipe the move field, now Apple Mail has figured out enough that when he gets the emails that look something like this, he puts them in archive. So when I swipe to move it, it immediately says, do you want me to put it in the archive for you? It, it automatically sorts it for you. And it's a really nice feature. This is this exists on the Mac too, by the way. It's one of the best implement, implementations of the touch bar is the way it does that for you. Uh, but we're talking about iOS today. So if you go in the settings, enable uh, the swipe to move option, uh, then it applies its machine learning. And it doesn't work with every mail that comes in. And when you first start it, it's not going to work with a lot of them. But if you just kind of keep at it a little while, the computer in your phone is going to get pretty smart about where you want to put your mail. And I think that's a real useful feature. That too. And also the ability to get there by just doing a little bit of 3D touching on the message as well. So from the your inboxes list or when you're looking at your messages thread, just being able to force press on it a little bit. Force press 3D touch. I guess I get them always confused, but I know, I know, me too. Just a light little push, and then it opens up the message a little bit. But then if you swipe to the top, you'll see a whole list of things you can take action on. So reply, reply all, forward, mark the message, notify me, and move message all appear that way uh, as well. And I have to say, I use the notify me. So if there's a thread uh, going back and forth in the office about something, I want to be notified. I can tap on notify me when reply anyone replies to this email thread. And then you'll get a notification on your home screen. Um, and if you run a business or you need to take action on a particular thread that's important, that's a great way to be able to, to, to monitor that conversation. Yeah, Apple Mail has really come a long way. Um Another thing that they've added recently that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show is this these new inbox filters. Um, you know, so Apple's trying to make it easier for you to get to what's really important. And there's a little filter button. It's a circle with some lines in it, and they get gradually smaller, like like going through a funnel, maybe. And you tap on that. By default, it just shows you red versus unread. So if you've got a bunch of messages, but you just want to see the unread ones, you tap on it. It does that. But you can have more options than that if you want. If you if you tap on the filters, then you can uh, actually select the different options where you can say, show me ones that are just from VIPs or show me ones that are, you know, within a certain amount of time. And, when, and once you decide whatever filters you want to apply, then tapping that button is going to further refine that inbox filter. And it's a nice way to get rid of all the junk as you get into your inbox. I just wish that search was better inside of Apple Mail because I, you know, I use AirMail as my main go-to mail client for iOS now. I just find search incredibly fast and incredibly deep and detailed and finds messages that I need going back months and months and months. And I'm, for whatever reason, Apple Mail search is still just, just awful. It's not you. It's Apple. Cause that's, that's true for everybody that we talk to that has a, a large mail database. It just, there's something going on there. 
But uh, another nice Apple Mail feature, uh, and this is one I use on iPad, is the markup tools. Now, this was, I think it was iOS 9 that they announced this, where they've got these markup tools that are basically a tool set that can be used in different apps in, in context. This is another bit of contextual computing on iOS. So if someone sends you an email and it's got a PDF attached to it, and, and Clayton, this would be a good feature for you with all your real estate dealings, and there's a PDF attached and it just needs your signature. Um, you can open the markup tools in the mail app and you can apply your signature, which it grabs from preview on the Mac. So if you've got a nice signature saved to your Mac, because you know the signature tool in preview is pretty good, um, it's gonna automatically already be on your iOS device. So you get a, a message in mail, you open up the markup tool, you drop in your signature, and you can do some other basic PDF edits in there. It's not really powerful, but the signature part of it, I think is, is one of the best implementations. I've literally closed properties with my title company at traffic lights. Wow. So <laughs> using the markup feature in iOS and mail. I mean, that's, it's a game changer. I mean, the fact that I don't have to, you know, the, the, I can just literally tap on the PDF. He, here's the closing documents on the HUD, sign, done, closed, write it like a traffic light using my signature. Man, you are a, you are a businessman. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's amazing how quickly, I mean, I'm still surprised that, that we're still like wiring money these days. I mean, it's amazing like how archaic some of this stuff is, but some of it's amazing how quickly we can get done with this stuff. Anything that's slow, you can probably blame a lawyer at some point of that. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the unsubscribe from messages feature? This is a new one that Apple introduced you know, David, I know you and I are both SaneBox subscribers, so I typically just throw stuff into the Sane black hole. But have you found the unsubscribe feature reliable? Have you tried it? I don't use it. I don't use that. That's one I don't use. Clayton? No? No, I've never used that yet. But um, it's there. So. Where is that feature? I've I've seen it and then I can't find it again. It it it's you pull down a little bit from a message, so it's kind of like up in the header area. But you only get it when a, when Apple Mail can tell that a message is clearly from a mailing list. So I think they probably have built in support for like known mailing list senders. Hmm. Right. So if like a Mailchimp or uh, Active Campaign or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Hmm. Something a lot of people get hung up with, and we see emails from this from listeners, is just how is it displaying the messages? There's a setting where you can have it organized by newest or oldest. So if you expect the most recent message to be on top, there's a setting for that. If you expect it to be on the bottom, there's a setting for that too. And and we'll probably stop there. I mean, there's a lot of to talk about Apple Mail. We did a whole show last year about comparing iOS mail apps, and Apple Mail certainly was not the the big winner in that it's not the clear winner, but uh, they have been improving it with additional features. And, and I know for a lot of people, it's the the only way they can go because of exchange support or whatever reason. And it, it's, it's not, it's not a shabby app like it, it was for a while. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I think Clayton's point about the search though is a good one. Um, somewhat related to mail, uh, but it's something that I've been banging on about on the show for years is how come I can't print a PDF, you know, why can't I like an Apple mail message or even a web page where I can, why can't I just save that as a PDF? And there's been kind of workarounds about it for years. There've been some third-party apps that have been trying to do it. Apple has finally implemented it and they've implemented it in my opinion, in a super nutty way. Um, it, it's a total hidden, you know, feature. Uh, so 
if you've got a mail message or a document or a web page, you want to turn it into a PDF. The way you do it is if you're on an iPhone with 3D touch, you open, you've got the message in front of you, then you open the print screen like you're going to print it on, you know, your old old timey printer, but then force touch the center of the screen, just, you know, 3D touch the center of the screen, and then it's going to open a new view and it's got the little sharing icon in the, I believe, upper right or lower left corner, depends on how you activate it and which device you're on, but it's got the sharing screen. And then from there, you can save it as a PDF and it works. It's, I don't know why you've got to go through two or three steps to make that happen. It seems to me like they could have implemented that way better, uh, but it's there now. So I can stop whining about it. Um, if you're on a device without 3D touch, like an iPad, pinch to zoom. So it's the same procedure though. You open the email, then you go print it, get the print preview screen, like you're going to send it to your printer and just do the pinch to zoom with your, with your thumb and index finger and it'll get there. And that's that's one we've heard from a lot of people about, and it's very popular because now you do print PDF. So a new yeah, but you know why why does it have to be so difficult to get there? You know why can't it just be a share extension? Uh, bedtime mode is a new feature in the clock app. So it's it's kind of something that you know studies say if we can go to bed about the same time and wake up about the same time it's it's better for us and so you've always been able to set alarms in iOS but now you can also kind of set a notification to say hey you know Katie if you're going to get up at six a.m. tomorrow you probably should be thinking about heading to bed now um, and so it can kind of start training you to go to bed and get up at, at certain times and related to that the alarms have gotten nicer. Yeah, well, if you use this bedtime mode, the alarm starts very kind of gently and works its way up. And I, I think it's better. I I am getting gang super nerdy about sleep lately. I you know it's you know how yeah you know, all of us nerds have something in the back of our mind we want to try out someday. I've gone hard on sleep here, <laughs> so I've got bedtime mode activated. Now I'm charging my watch while I sit at my desk. Right now, in fact, it's in my little charger, my Mac iPhone chargers, you guys see those come out. And um, the uh, so I've got everything going. So I'm wearing the the watch asleep. I'm using Sleep Plus Plus to track my sleep. I've, I don't know if this is going to be show content or it's just me being a nerd, but I'm super into the sleep stuff lately. No, I, I went down this rabbit hole with you in usual fashion. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. When this came out, and I and my wife would be like, "What are you doing sleeping with your watch on?" Even in like in. Uh, you know, uh, watch zero, the original, um, I was using sleep plus plus and doing that. And I would sit at my Mac and do some work during the day. And I pop the watch off and just get like an hour worth of charge so that I knew that I could wear it while I was sleeping and launch sleep plus plus and track, you know, track it. I think the bedtime mode though is interesting. And I, I started using it. I stopped using it because, well, for me, unfortunately, I you know I get up so stinking early many days of the week, and this election cycle has just been crazy, and it's just so it's been off. So I'm more like sort of I don't know ticked off at myself, like looking at my sleep tracking, <laughs> and I know <laughs> that it's I know that this weird, crazy 2016 election cycle has not made me a better sleeper. And you have small children, which is that's just like the enemy of sleep, you know? right? And so you, and but it's amazing to watch your sleep patterns in the middle of the night and see that oh, at two in the morning the baby was crying and we, you know, she was feeding him in the middle of the night, you know, and and of course I'm what am I? I'm useless, you know, um, I can't breastfeed, and so I'm. But I, w- I wake up because I hear it and I'm like, okay, I'll get up. And then you see that little activity spike in the middle of the night at two in the morning. You're coming out of REM sleep. Um, but I, I do love this bedtime feature. And it was kind of on 
I think when you got a new iPhone or when you downloaded iOS 10, it it sent you some notifications to let you know that it was there. And then if you didn't really do anything with it, it kind of like d- disappears and you never really see it again, which is kind of a shame because I think it's a really powerful tool. Katie, do you use it at all? I, you know, I've started to, but I didn't. I naturally go to bed at the same time every night. I mean, if I look at the clock and see, yeah, it's about that time I'm getting sleepy. So it's never been that big of a deal for me. Hey, you don't need your phone to tell I don't you. need my phone to tell me it's time to go to bed. I, I totally do. I totally do. But I, if, you're, uh, if you haven't tried this out, I would recommend looking into it uh, even just for the the better alarms, I think the alarms are just so nice. They're gentle, and that to me, I hate the blaring alarm where the first thing you have in the day is that you feel like the house just caught on fire because the alarm is ringing. Um, I, I do like these gentle alarms, and you can access all of this in the clock app on your phone. So if you just go on clock app, it says bedtime. I think it's the middle icon. You tap on that and you can set it all up. And another way to not wake up and wake up the whole family is to use the watch. So I will, you know, I'll wake up with the watch at three thirty, four in the morning, depending on what show I'm doing that morning. And it just with the little vibrations on my wrist, it wakes me up and we're, we have a, a Casper mattress. So she can't feel anything if I get up and she'll, she won't even know I left, you know, left the house, you know? So it's a, using that bedtime feature if you want it's very quiet it's not blaring or just using the watch and having like a little gentle you know a little gentle nudge to wake up is also great a kind of related one we heard from scott on twitter uh this is sort of related to bedtime he's got little kids and he he uses a flashlight on his phone he puts it on flashlight maybe he uses a 3d touch to set the the flashlight level he puts it on his shelf to kind of give a low light to the room then he reads the kids their book and when he's done, he uses his watch to turn on the camera on his phone, which turns off the flashlight. And then the kids just magically know it's time to go to bed. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I shoot a lot of YouTube videos uh, for my, my real estate channel on, on YouTube. And, you know, I use the camera app with the phone. I shoot all of my videos on the iPhone 7 which is crazy to think. And I'll stand there to frame it up by using the camera app on my watch to get the framing correct. And of course, I wish Apple would add video mode so that I could start and stop a video recording using the watch. But it'll say, you know, this mode does not enable you to use video. But just to you can see still through that text, you can see the framing of it, which is enough for me to know that I'm standing in the right spot um, while I'm recording. Well, Clayton, we've actually got more to this outline, so we could keep going for a while. But I think the better thing to do is we'll just add more to it and have you back again if you're willing. I would love to. I would. I'm sure by WWDC there'll be a ton more. You know what? That might be another good time to 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 do this after maybe some of the betas come out. So uh, let's let's plan on doing that. But before we go, why don't you give people an update about a little bit about what you're doing and where people can find you now? Well, I mean, my main business and where people, if they're interested in real estate investing and where, you know, like I said, I run my whole business on an iPad and and we've got a great team is just my website, Morris, my last name, morrisinvest.com. And uh, we rehab properties and put great tenants in them with high return on investments. So, you know, like 12% net ROI, which, you know, you compare that to the stock market. So I've... um Got the whole family involved and my kids know what ROI means and they know that's the most powerful way to build wealth. And so I've just like devoted my, my life to real estate investing, um, as a way to build passive income. And, you know, it's amazing how many people in the Mac community we've helped 
who are software developers and they folks that even work for Apple that have bought properties through us. They're like, you know, I, I work my butt off and I want to spend more time with my kids and I want to be able to take care of all of my monthly expenses every month. And what better way to do that than having cash flowing real estate. So that's what I do. I spend most of my time <laughs> doing that and podcasting. And I've got a podcast about real estate investing um, as well called the investing in real estate podcast. So man, it's, it's pretty easy to find me, but I, I'm, that's what I spend most of my time focused on. Awesome. Excellent. Well, we look forward to having you back. Uh, a couple of quick announcements to close up the show. By the way, um, for those of you who are members and support this show, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. But a couple of things. You should have just recently last week got your Relay FM uh, members newsletter for the month of January with two things. Number one, I was featured in it, so yay. Um, and also announcing that Relay is launching a new members-only podcast. So um, you may want to check that out if you're not already a, a Relay FM member. We certainly would appreciate you supporting either Mac Power users or all the great shows over on Relay. Uh, and of course, in that vein, we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Eero, Text Expander, and Squarespace. And finally, if you've got some hidden and unused features that you want us to talk about the next time we get back to the subject, let us know. We've already got a good list, but we'd love to hear more. So we will see you all next week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>